Hi, you're tuned into 90.7 FM, KALX Berkeley. I'm Andrew Saintsing, and this is The Graduates, the interview talk show where we speak to UC Berkeley graduate students about their work here on campus and around the world. Today, I'm joined by Jane Henderson from the Department of Geography. Welcome to the show, Jane. Hi, thanks for having me, Andrew. So great to have you here. I'm really excited to have you here because I've never had anybody from the Department of Geography, uh, and I really want to know more about geography. Do you just like know all the state capitals and like you can put them all in the <laughs> It's, I think you could appreciate this as a graduate student that we often explain what we do as kind of completely different from what we actually do when people ask us. So sometimes I will say like, yeah, I just study capitals. <laughs> kind of ironically, I would say many geographers don't actually have a good sense of what most people think of as geography like capitals, where to place countries on a map and things like that, which is is kind of the funny part of our discipline. But it is, that is part of it. And part of how you would teach that to younger students, especially like the K through 12 level. Um, But it's also a lot broader than being able to sort of memorize and or locate places, countries, on a map. Right. That's kind of like uh, the foundation, right? I guess like being able to localize things in space is kind of like you need to have that in order to get to actually what you're really interested in in research in terms of geography. In geography, I would say a core tenet, especially when we study it at, at the university level and the PhD level is to always question and pay attention to power and political relationships that create space, to not take space and spatial locations for granted, but actually to question the power and the development of space over time or throughout time. So, Geography is not just memorizing and taking a state capital as is. In general, you know, we use maps because they're helpful, right? And so mm-hmm. like a lot of us are just assuming, we just look at a map and we're like, this is the way the world looks. But uh, you're kind of interested in how that map came to be our representation of the way the world works and potentially like what our the reasons it could be different or the problems with the way it is represented on the map. Correct. That's, um, I think, a big piece of geography and a good entry point into questioning how space is developed because it's often developed unevenly, which is another concept that we look a lot at in geography. Why is it that we have um, separations between urban space and rural space. And why is it that the economies of urban spaces are different than rural spaces? How did those things develop? And how did investment in one also lead to disinvestment in the other? And what is the relationship between that across space? So to your point, like say you were to pull out your, your Google Maps, app on your phone and ask for directions to a certain location. There are some locations that you that Google doesn't offer you directions to, for example, B 
because those locations may be, for one reason or another, invisible in the sense that either people in power have made it so you can't locate them, or as a site of resistance, people who have less power, marginalized peoples whose geography knowledge is also often overlooked uh, may also be invisibilized by some of these things. But we tend to take Google Maps as fact or as um, like a hard truth that this is how a city or a landscape or the planet essentially is laid out. And in geography, we are just always questioning that, questioning these things like land, like space, like cities even that seem to just be as opposed to processes that are made or spaces that are made. Okay. So there there are locations, right? Like absent of human um, ideas about these locations, they're just like physical. The world is physically there. But then you're saying humans situate themselves and say what each place is. And so when you say something, you can't get to that place on Google Maps, you're saying that maybe Google Maps tells you a place in this location that doesn't match another person's understanding of that location, essentially? Yeah. So the second part that you're saying, yes, you're correct, is that like people, places are imbued with meaning that we provide and meaning is contested. It is given, it's like giving value to something. And just like any social relation or social process, that meaning and that value given to a place is necessarily has all of the other things that come with social relations, like difference, uh, power, inequality. I'll end there for that section. I want to address the first part because that does get into some of like the deep, like, is there space like that just is without people giving it meaning? Um, That's some of the like philosophy of geography. And there are, I could give listeners a recommendation to check out Henry Lefebvre if they, um, that's spelled H-E-N-R-I-L-E-F-B-V-R-E. If if folks are interested in that, because there is lively debate in geography, just as we might think about time in different ways, like you can think about it linearly, circularly, and in all sorts of different ways that you can also think about space differently. It's not an what we call in geography, like an empty vessel or an empty container upon which things just happen. But the very process of time passing is that things happen in, to create space as well. So there, but there's different camps. Like some people disagree about how that happens. Like if there's something like absolute space or not. So which which camp do you fall into? Would you say? Okay, so I tend to agree with Lefebvre, which is the person I just referenced um, in this text production of space, which takes like somewhat of a, it questions this very idea that I've also been trying to explain so far, which is that we take space for granted as as sort of the, the container or the cup that everything else happens in. So racism just happens in space, but space is neutral. Historical events happen through time but the place where they're happening is just 
it just is. It's just neutral. And what Lefebvre does is say, no, 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 we're taking this for granted. We're not actually looking at how space and time are connected and how they're made together, how space is actually produced. Yeah, I tend to agree with that because it makes a lot of sense when we're thinking about other geographic or like geopolitical forms that we take for granted, something like the U.S.-Mexico border, for example. We just take for granted and assume that there is this line drawn in the sand, basically, that will delineate where one country's power ends and where another one's begins, another one, another country's power begins. But when you really look at it, there's all sorts of contestations along borders. There's power that extends beyond a border line, for example. There are a lot of different life forms, um, for example, certain types of migratory birds or monarch butterflies, things like that, that wouldn't, that don't um, understand space in the same way that we as humans would understand it, such that a border, like the U.S.-Mexico border, doesn't really mean a lot unless there's a giant fence that prevents them from flying (laughs) over to migrate, for example. So I had set all this to say that that was like an example of that um, space isn't just neutral. It's also contested the same way that time is, the same way that things we may know about science is contested, the same way that other kinds of politics are constantly being debated and kind of battled out in a political arena. We just tend to assume that space is the arena that everything happens on, but we don't tend to ask questions like who built this arena? Why do we use an arena at all? Where did the materials come from to create the arena that we're now battling out our political ideas on? And so in geography, we ask questions about that. I guess in science, you know, like we're limited by our questions and our understanding. And I guess we're striving towards something though that is universal. Maybe, you know, at least uh, at least we try to like move towards that truth that isn't necessarily hinging on what questions we're asking, but like the actual like fundamental principles. Like in physics, we're trying to find like the laws that hold the universe together. And I guess in geography, are you... Yeah, I guess you're basically, though, studying how humans occupy space, which can never, which doesn't, wouldn't never really get you to a fundamental place, right? Because, like, you're not ultimately just trying to get to, like, this is where a mountain range is. Like, that's, that would be something that you could, that everyone could say, like, yes, this mountain range occurs here. But, like, it's what that mountain range means to the people around it and that live in it and that travel through it. Yeah, I think this can get us into like a a distinction that we have in geography between physical geography and human geography, which there is a lot more overlap. And our department at Berkeley has graduate students and faculty in both camps. Not every geography program is like that. But the easiest way to define that division is that physical geography is a, a physical science slash hard science, and then human geography is a social science, uh, more akin to 
anthropology and or some humanities even um, disciplines. So, so the way that you described it is that people in physical geography may, yes, look at mountain ranges or river patterns, uh, watershed flows from that mountain range and tell us sort of data about perhaps the sediment in the water or how to use these different watersheds in order to fight wildfires or things like that. And also there's a lot of like climate change science that happens in geography. And then on what I do is on the human geography side. So it is more of a social science, which is to ask about, yes, like not only our human relationship or like people's relationship to this mountain range, like in your example, but also to think of, to read against and with the very scientists who are coming up with universal truths about this mountain range. Because what I think is really important in our field is basically acknowledging that even the things that we find to be universal truths are still using a a particular framework of viewing the world. One that's couched in like the scientific method for example, as like a way of knowing, but there are many other ways of knowing and knowledge isn't like a capital K knowledge. And there's only one, um, but that there might be knowledges or things like that, that would help us understand the world around us. What I think human geography and, or the social science side of geography can offer is just the reminders that even in science, we take a lot of things for granted as as being quote unquote natural, human geography is destabilizes that a little bit or a lot of bit, I guess. Um, so yeah, uh, but I'm not definitely on the human geography side. So I would say I'm more akin, um, my methods, my research is like, is couched mostly within African-American studies or black studies, history, anthropology. The methods I use aren't quantitative methods typically. This has been very interesting stuff. I am oh, great. Okay. <laughs> uh, all of like the philosophy of geography and all of that, but it would be, we are <laughs> moving through the time we have for the interview. So it would be really cool to know a little bit more about like actually what you are studying, you know, using yeah. these research approaches that you've discussed. So like what, what kind of is your, uh, the area of your research for your dissertation? Yeah, my research uh, site is um, in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, uh, which is where I grew up. And I've kind of taken a winding route to get back here. Mostly, uh, or sort of broadly, my research is on Black experiences in Minnesota. And that stems from my own experience as a Black Minnesotan and uh, my family's experiences as Black Minnesotans, but also the kind of surprise around blackness in Minnesota, which is to say that people don't expect there to be black people in Minnesota or in a place in the Midwest or so far North or things like that. Why is it that some places are more intimately tied with a black experience than others? And so that to me is, that to me is a really geographic question because it's asking us about the process of how place gets made and how people come to understand that place. So Minnesota is a state that 
is understood to be a white place and pretty much exclusively white place. Um, blackness is often not only invisibilized, but as black people, we have to constantly mediate our knowledge of this place against the sort of common perceptions or a word that we use is imaginary of Minnesota as a kind of uh, nice liberal white state. So I would say that's, that's the basis of my work. And then in order to get at some of these questions, I'm trying to put forth an intervention, which is in the field of black geographies, which is where I'm kind of situated. My work is to think about geographies, black geographies beyond the plantation and what other geographic locations and sites, but also like words, like other than the plantation, we can use to understand black experience of space. So for me in Minnesota, this looks like if I were to bring up to just general Minnesotans that there is racism in Minnesota, they might answer me by saying, no, there isn't. Minnesota was one of the first states to give black people, black men the right to vote prior to any amendments in the federal constitution. And we didn't have slavery because we didn't have plantations in the North. So therefore we don't have racism in Minnesota. It's kind of like how the, the saying goes. And so the plantation itself as like a place, like a geography, does, does not fit anywhere in Minnesotans' minds. It's like that is an elsewhere, that happens in the South, that doesn't happen here. And it makes it really hard then to have a discussion about um, like anti-Black racism and or racism in general in Minnesota because the, the core geography, like the core site that we often use to explain racism is the plantation. But what does that what does that do if you don't if people have like no reference point to the plantation at all? Um, there has to be other ways to explain the experience of Black people in in a place. What my research does is try to think about other geographic forms. So my research looks at um, the frontier because that does have a lot of purchase here in Minnesota as like how, like how do how do black people understand themselves as like frontiers people, as opposed to like uh, people tied to the plantation. And I'm hoping because I am not that far in my research yet <laughs> will be another way of just getting to this kind of black way of knowing place and knowing our environment, which is tends to be different than sort of geographic knowledge that is taken as natural. So you brought up like uh, talking about the black experience in relation to a plantation. Are you using it kind of like as a, a, a historical basis of rooting the black experience, like where, where the black experience originates? Is that kind of the idea with using that term? The plantation? Yeah, yeah, the term the plantation, the specifically plantation. in the context of your, of like um, what you were discussing with your research. 
the plantation is both like a historical site. Like you could go on a plantation tour in parts of the U.S. South or things like that. But it's also a description of like a geography, meaning a, a place that can travel. And it travels because the way it organizes space might be similar. The kinds of logics that are developed or the kind of knowledge that's developed may be similar. Um, and that's how it would travel. So it's this kind of way in which people are interacting with each other. And like, that's kind of like what's traveling. But then that's interesting that when you were talking about how uh, white Minnesotans can say like, oh, there aren't plantations here. So I guess, yeah, like the idea in geography that you can, that spaces replicate and like that something that occurs physically in one space can then like metastasize and like affect people in other places is a good, it's like a good way to describe something. But then on the other side, people who are looking to avoid grappling with this complex and harsh reality can then turn that around and say, okay, you're talking about this space, but it's somewhere else. And so I can like physically locate this issue that I don't want to deal with in a completely other place. And then I can say, it doesn't happen. I don't have any part in it because I don't belong to that space. So that's very interesting. And that is another key key site that geographers look at is, is the, are the connections and the, the flow of resources, money, actual materials through these spaces that people don't think of as being connected at all. And this happens every day, like all the time we think about that something that is happening to us a way that we are experiencing space in a city like in Berkeley has nothing to do with what people in Oklahoma city or in rural Oklahoma are experiencing that there is no connection. But what we oftentimes can uncover is that there are real connections between these places that, that don't only have to do with people moving from one place to another necessarily, but all sorts of other ties and, and kinds of interconnectedness between, between spaces. So you're right in seeing this as kind of a, it's both a helpful way of thinking about the Black experience as like plantation travels, but then it also, there's this kind of catch 22, which is people can skirt responsibility because that geography doesn't resonate with their lived experience or even their history, like not even their lived experience, but the history of the place that they live in. The kind of important thing for me to do is to try to understand what geographies do resonate with people here and like how black people both in history and in the present navigate that understanding of space. We have a lot of research on how Black people have resisted the plantation, how, how Black people have resisted and lived through the violence of 
the historical plantation and also the ways that the plantation has traveled, we don't have as much research on other geographies and how black people live through in and through those places as well. So that's really what my work is trying to do. So you're trying to root the black experience in Minnesota without using this terminology of the plantation. You've talked about frontier. You're trying to say like how we can root our understanding of the black experience in Minnesota in this idea of frontier and with the ultimate goal to then like have this framework that people can, I guess, is the idea to better communicate to the Black experience outside of the Black community to um, the wider community or to kind of have a framework to talk within the Black community or both or? Yeah, I would say perhaps prematurely the, the hope would be for both. But another key part of my research that I have not yet talked to you about is that the main point of my intervention is to try and think about Black and Indigenous geographies together. And oftentimes discussions of the plantation and slavery alongside things like Indigenous genocide and dispossession of land, they they don't always come together neatly in terms of a a conversation, both in academia and in sort of activist spaces. But what I have noticed so far in Minneapolis is that there is a lot of attention on indigenous dispossession, indigenous geographies and indigenous knowledge here that I have not always experienced in other um, in other places that I, I mean, that I've lived and that I've researched. And so my hope is that with thinking about other places that Black people live that might not have the plantation kind of hanging over us, that we might come to better understandings and relationships with Indigenous peoples as, as Black people, with Indigenous peoples. So in Minnesota, that would be like the Dakota, Ojibwe peoples. And that just gives us a totally new way of understanding space, a new way of understanding geography and a new set of values around who matters in these places that I I think if we could get outside of some of the plantation and the really terrible violence of the plantation, we can think about how, how to be together differently. So it is both for like white Minnesotans to be able to like, understand their like how they're implicated in racism because I'm not using the plantation I'm using something that has that resonates to white Minnesotans but it's also more than that it's it's more than uh like humanizing black people for white people my project is also trying to think more broadly about uh black claims to land how we interact with land um, and how we do that with respect to the original inhabitants of this land, indigenous Dakota people. 
this has been really interesting, but this is, we're running out of time on the interview. Usually at the end of the interview, we give our guests a chance to address the audience on any matter that they'd like to bring up or reemphasize. Is there anything you'd like to leave us with before we go? Yes. Hello, audience, all the listeners. It's been really great to talk with you, Andrew, about my work. And I would definitely encourage um, any listeners who are interested in geography to not only check out our department website at UC Berkeley, but also to think about your own neighborhoods, um, the places that you tend to go to, and even now during COVID to take a, a really close look at, at the spaces that you're in and try and think about like how they came to be that way and look at those things with a critical eye. Like why is the street that you lived on, that you live on have this certain name or why is the, the school, the elementary school down the block named after a certain person? And I'd also encourage everybody to look up the whichever place you might be to look up whose indigenous homelands you're on and how you might be able to ensure that indigenous sovereignty is an active practice um, in your own work and when you talk about like where you're from there's a lot of resources on that so you could also email me for those (laughs) if you have trouble Thanks so much, Jane. Yeah, so if you're interested in getting in touch with Jane, remember, this is we're speaking to Jane Henderson from the Department of Geography, uh, and you can find her email on that website. Again, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was awesome. Tune in in two weeks for the next episode of The Graduates. <laughs>